If you have a Bible, I invite you to open it up to Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2, verses 14 to 21, the, the scripture that was read for us this morning. All right, isn't it nice to be in church? All week we spend in the world, at school, at work, at the gym, wherever else, and we have to get along with all types of people, right? Uh, or at least put up with them. Some of them might be make us feel uncomfortable. Their, their political opinions, the, the gossip and negativity, the bad language, the off-color jokes, the dishonest acts, maybe the pressure we sometimes feel to go along or join in. And so it's nice to get away from it all and, and to be at church with church folk. Granted, we're not a perfect bunch. There's probably some people here who drive you crazy, if you're honest. But more or less, for many of us, this is a comfort zone, right? Well, guess what? That's not how it's supposed to be. According to today's passage, if we're living in line with the truth of the gospel, the church should actually wind up being a fairly uncomfortable place for us sometimes. Because according to today's passage, the gospel lands us among sinners, especially at church. Well, if that's kind of an uncomfortable thought for you, if you kind of like church being a comfortable safe zone, a retreat from the world, then you're in good company. Because that's how Jesus' superstar disciple, the Apostle Peter, felt, called by his other name Cephas in this passage. Or if Peter didn't feel this way himself, he as a leader at least gave in to pressure from others who felt this way, who wanted their church to be a comfortable place, free from uncomfortable sinners. Let's review the story which Greg Howe looked at with us last Sunday. It all started when Peter had come down from Jerusalem, where he lived, to spend some time with a group of Jesus' followers who lived in a city called Antioch. Now, at that time, Antioch was a huge city. It was a great city. It was a diverse cosmopolitan city. And the followers of, of Jesus in Antioch were a diverse bunch. They were a mixed ethnic crowd, including Jews and, and others from a number of other ethnic backgrounds as well. And those, the Jews all lumped together with one term, Gentiles. Now, normally, Jews do not eat or associate with Gentiles for a whole bunch of religious and social reasons which we've looked at before. But because of Jesus Christ, that had all changed in Antioch. There, Jews and Gentiles sat down, they ate together as brothers and sisters, and they worshipped together. Because back then, church happened in homes, often in the context of meals. Now, Peter, a Jew in the past, had pioneered this kind of groundbreaking, cross-cultural, multi-ethnic unity. God had helped Peter, a Jew, to get past his own prejudices and his religious scruples. God had helped Peter to see that he was to accept Gentiles, all kinds of people, who believed in Jesus as equal members of God's family. That's how Peter was to treat them. Part of the way that God had done this for Peter was to give Peter a vision in which God showed him that the kosher food laws in the Bible, which would keep Peter as a Jew from eating with Gentiles, were no longer valid. But Peter's openness to Gentiles and his new habit of eating with them wasn't popular with um, many other Jews who were followers of Jesus who hadn't had the benefit of hearing directly from God on these matters like Peter had. And some of these zealous Jewish Christians 
who loved God's law and therefore couldn't stomach sinful Gentiles, they, they came to Antioch. Verse 11 says that they came from James, who was one of the key leaders in the early Jerusalem church. Either they were sent by James, or more likely they claimed to represent James's views on these matters. Well, when they came, Peter backed off from associating with his Gentile brothers and sisters. And based on his example, other Jewish Christians already in Antioch, including Paul's partner Barnabas, followed Peter's lead. They, they went back to observing a strict kosher diet like the Bible commanded them, which meant they, they couldn't eat anymore with the Gentiles in the church. And so pretty soon there were two churches in Antioch. There was a kosher Jewish church, and there was a Gentile church. Two churches meeting in two different homes around two separate kinds of meals. Well, when the Apostle Paul, who's, who's writing the letter of Galatians, sees this happening, he says that he took Peter to task for it because Peter knew better. And that's where we pick up our passage today with Paul calling Peter out right in front of everyone about this situation because it applied to everyone. Paul accuses Peter and the rest of the Jewish Christians of this. He says they're not acting in line with the truth of the gospel. Really, Paul? <laughs> they're just keeping God's commands in the Bible. They're trying to live pure, holy lives. That's not acting in line with the truth of the gospel. And Paul says, when your religion keeps you from mixing it up in church with Gentile sinners, you are not living in line with the gospel. In today's passage, Paul is going to explain why. First, in, in verse 14, he explains the problem with Peter and the other Jews' behavior. Then second, in verses 15 and 16, he reminds them of what the gospel really says. Then third, in verses 17 and 18, based on the gospel, Paul reorients their perspective, gives them a new way to look at things. And then fourth, finally, in verses 19 to 21, Paul offers them a new gospel way to live. So let's take a look. First, Paul explains the problem with Peter and the other Jews' behavior. Verse 14, Paul says to Peter, You are a Jew... Yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? Here Paul points out that long ago Peter had stopped trying to live by the Jewish law. Peter had stopped worrying so much about eating kosher, even though that's what the Bible commanded. Peter had stopped worrying about keeping himself pure and clean and holy, even though that's how God's people were supposed to be. But Jesus had led Peter in a new way, and Peter had followed. But now, here is Peter going back to these old ways, to these commands. And Paul says it's because Peter is afraid. Peter's afraid of the Jewish Christians who still think the commands are necessary in order to be godly. And as a result, Peter won't eat or associate with the Gentiles anymore who don't keep these laws. Paul says, Peter, you're being a hypocrite. You don't live this way yourself, and, and you've started again on account of these other Jewish Christians, and as a result, you've cut yourself off from your new brothers and sisters in Christ because they're Gentiles and they don't live this way. You see how Peter's caught here? On the one hand, he's, he's being pressured. These, these Jewish Christians have come down from Jerusalem. They believe it's important to keep all the commands in the Bible, not to cherry-pick them. And Peter grew this up, this, he grew up this way too, and, and while... 
hanging around Jesus has, has led him to not agree anymore, he's still sympathetic to his fellow Jews. And, and they love Jesus too, and he doesn't want to offend them. So, so he goes along with them. But, but by going along, he turns his back on the Gentiles that he'd begun hanging out with. He chooses his own people and his old religion over the new understanding, the new uncomfortable understanding that God had led him into and the new people that God had thrown him together with. And, and so here's Peter's hypocrisy. And listen up, because we still do this today. We don't keep all the commands in the Bible. We pick certain ones which we think are super important. And we elevate these and we keep these faithfully. And then when others don't keep them, we look down on those others as being not as good as we are. We don't expect everyone to be perfect. We, we know we can't keep all God's commands perfectly, but we sure expect people to keep the ones we're good at keeping. And if they don't, we judge them. We distance ourselves from them. After all, they're sinners. And Paul says, this is hypocrisy. If you don't keep all of God's commands, how can you require others to keep the commands you happen to be good at keeping before you'll accept them? You're not seeing people the way God sees them is what Paul's getting at. You're just judging them based on your own standards and then assuming that's how God sees them too. But Paul says, what gives you the right to be the judge and to set the standard of which commands are most important, to decide that that you're good enough for God and you'll only accept those who are good in the way you happen to be good? That's what Peter and the others were doing by by turning away from their Gentile brothers and sisters who who weren't good at keeping kosher, who weren't circumcised, etc. And Paul says, it's hypocrisy. It's not acting in line with the gospel. I'll give you a modern-day example of this because it happens in church, as I mentioned, all the time. I once attended a church with a lot of young 20-somethings. And one young guy had recently gotten to know Jesus, and we were teaching him to follow Jesus. We're helping him to grow in his relationship with Jesus. Now, as a 20-something, this young man was prematurely balding. And so he always wore a baseball cap. I think he was a little insecure about it. He so often wore this cap that I stopped noticing it was there. It was just like part of his head. He always had the cap on. I don't know if I'd ever seen him without it. Well, one day he helped to serve communion. And another man who was fairly new at the church went through the roof, um, serving communion with a hat on. This was disrespectful to God. How, How could this young man do this? How could the leaders of the church allow it? Well, here's the thing about this man who got so upset, and he was way more upset than the way my tone of voice is letting on. Um, But we found out later that this man had attended at least two other churches before ours, and in each one, he'd been involved in splitting those churches and stirring up conflict and strife in those churches. Evidently, for this man, the commands where God says, be gentle, be patient, be peacemakers, don't cause division or strife, disregarding those was okay, but wearing a hat during communion was not. And Paul says, start acting that way, start treating other Christians that way, and you are not acting in line with the gospel. And so then second, in verses 15 and 16, Paul reminds them of what the gospel is. He says in verse 15, we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. 
Now, this is a loaded statement, so let me pick out and explain the three key phrases here. The, the first is the word justified. What does that mean? Well, to be justified means that God declares that you are in a right relationship with God, that God accepts you, that God says there's nothing negative between God and you. Things are good. The relationship is clear. It's right. That's justified. Isn't that a good place to be? (laughs) Have you ever had a a fight with a a husband or a wife or a a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a parent or a friend? How does it feel when when that person who you care about is is so mad at you and and they have something against you? And and have you ever had that, that sick, sinking, heavy feeling where you know things aren't right between you and them and there's tension and there's discomfort. You're walking on eggshells and it's not fun to be with them and you can't look them in the eye. Then how does it feel when you make up, if you're able to make up? When, when things are worked out, you, you've said you're sorry, you've been, or, or they've said they're sorry and you've forgiven one another. Maybe you've cried, you've hugged, you've embraced. I love you, man. So glad we've worked things out. That's freedom, right? It, it, it's a big few. It's like, it's like cool, fresh air after being too long in a hot, musty room. The, the relationship is right. Intimacy can continue again. Love and affection can flow. You can enjoy one another again. When God justifies us, that's what God did for our relationship with him. So how do we get justified? Paul says, we don't get justified, here's our second phrase, by works of the law. That is, we don't get justified by our efforts to to keep God's commands, to earn God's approval for our good behavior. Rather, here's our third phrase, we get justified by faith in Jesus Christ. We get justified by putting our faith, putting our trust in Jesus Christ and what Christ has done for us. How do we get right with God? How do we get the relationship clear, intimate, close, accepting? Not by works, but by faith. Not by what we do, but by what Christ has done. I'll tell you a story about a time that this really struck home for me. I I was in my mid-20s living in in Budapest, Hungary at the time, and one evening I was... um, I was getting home late from work and I was walking home from the subway stop. And uh, as I walked, my mind was in turmoil. I was a really angsty 25-year-old, whatever I was. Um, I was struggling. I, I, was, uh, I was feeling like my spiritual life was a failure. And um, like, like God, I sensed, wanted much more from me, but, but I wasn't sure how to give it. I wasn't sure what God most wanted. I wanted to be closer to God, um, but I didn't know how, and I was, I was grieving, I was angsting about this, and, and I remember saying to God up into the darkness as I was walking, God, I, I want to know you, I want your presence, I want your favor in my life, but, but I don't know what you want from me, just, just tell me what it is that you want and I'll do it. And, and, and then there was one of those rare moments where I heard God speak super clearly, not, not out loud, but, but a clear and powerful realization came into my head like out of nowhere. I still remember it vividly. It was a cool, misty evening. And God said, you're so focused on what you need to do for me, but you're in danger of missing what I've done for you. I made the ultimate sacrifice. I gave up my only son for you. 
And, and that's infinitely greater and more significant than anything you'll do for me. And the biggest tragedy of your life, which you're so worried about right now, won't be that, that you miss um, my calling for you or that you don't do enough or that you're, you don't do the right thing for me. The biggest tragedy of your life will be if you miss my own son. If you miss the amazing gift I gave to you, that's the gospel. We're justified not by our own works, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Not by what we do for God, but by what God has done through Jesus for us. And Paul has to remind Peter of this. Because Peter's going back and, and keeping the works of law, refusing to associate with the Gentiles who don't. So he's not acting in line with the truth of the gospel. As Paul reminds Peter, verse 16, So we too, we Jews, have put our faith in Christ Jesus, so that we may be justified by faith in Christ Jesus, and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. Third, verses 17 and 18, Based on the gospel, Paul then reorients the perspective of, of Peter and the other Jewish Christians. He, he explains how the gospel affects the way we treat other people. Verse 17, But if, in seeking to be justified in Christ, we Jews find ourselves also among the sinners, doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. Th that's how Peter and the Jews felt, that that, that if they had to hang out with Gentiles, they were among the sinners. Or, or as some translations put it, that they were sinners. Because all their lives, these Jews had been taught, Gentiles are sinners. Gentiles don't eat kosher. They're sinners. Gentiles aren't circumcised. They're sinners. Gentiles don't keep the Sabbath. They're sinners. And so Paul is, is cutting right to the heart of, of Peter and, and the others' problem they were looking around at church and they were seeing all these sinners, all these Gentiles there who didn't keep God's law, who were pagans, who didn't eat right, dress right, look right, obey right. And the Jewish Christians thought, this is uncomfortable. This can't be right. This isn't what I come to church for. I have to put up with sinners all week long. I shouldn't have to put up with them in church too. I don't want to be among sinners. That can't be what Christ wants. Christ doesn't promote sin, right? And Paul replies, no, Christ doesn't promote sin. Absolutely not. But let me give you another perspective on what sin really is in your case. And, and here in verse 18, Paul uses a strong, powerful word for sin. The NIV, NIV translation translates it a lawbreaker. It can also be translated apostate. He says, in, Paul says in verse 18, if I rebuild what I destroyed, then I really would be a lawbreaker. Now, this is a little confusing. What's Paul saying here? If I rebuild what I destroyed, then I really would be a lawbreaker. Well, what has Peter destroyed that he's now going back and rebuilding? Peter had destroyed a relationship with God which was based on keeping the law. Peter had destroyed a relationship with God based on keeping the law which had created a barrier between Jews and Gentiles. They couldn't eat together. They couldn't be in church together because the Jews keep the law and the Gentiles don't. They're sinners. And so they don't mix like oil and water. Peter had destroyed that. Because God had said no more. God tore down the barrier. He, he destroyed it. 
God said to Peter, God said to the Jews, don't flatter yourselves. You were never able to keep the law very well anyway. So, so I'll tell you what, I'm going to justify you. I'm going to accept you. I'm going to welcome you into my good graces because of what Jesus Christ did, not because you kept my commands. And Peter and the others said, yay, God, that's great. Thank you so much. And then God added, guess what? While I'm at it, while I'm being gracious, I'm going to invite the whole world, all the Gentiles in on this great deal too. If they'll trust my son Jesus, if they'll put their faith in me and follow me, they can be justified too. I'll accept them too. Jews and Gentiles together as, as one family, all saved by Jesus as they put their faith in him. The barrier between them destroyed. Paul says, that's the gospel. That's what God has done. So if you don't want to be a sinner, I'll tell you what a real sinner is. It, a real sinner is someone who goes back and rebuilds what's been destroyed, rebuilds the barrier. It's someone who insists on keeping God's commands and, and shutting out those who do not. That's the big sin here. You do that and you're a real lawbreaker, Paul says. You do that and it's like you're at a party. You're at God's party. God's invited you. It's lots of fun. The food is great. You're having a great time. It's so good to be together. And then God says, um, there's a bunch of people missing. I invited them, but they're not here. And you say, oh, those people. Yeah, God, we told them they weren't good enough for you or for us, so they'd have to stay in the backyard. So yeah, they're out there. That's what Peter and the others were doing to the Gentiles. And Paul says, this is a serious offense. He reorients their perspective. Then fourth, finally, in verses 19 to 21, Paul offers them a new gospel way to live. Verse 19, for through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. What did the law accomplish? It, it showed me that it was too hard to please God by works, by my own behavior, by trying hard to be good, by, by what I could do through my own strength. So I died to that whole way of life. That whole approach to religion. Through the law, I died to the law. It showed me I couldn't live that way. So I stopped basing my relationship with God on how well I was keeping his commands. And I started basing it instead on what Christ had done for me, for us, for the world. But notice Paul doesn't say, through the law, I died to the law so I might live for sin. No, he says, through the law, I died to the law so I might live for God. God doesn't forgive our sins. God doesn't justify us. God doesn't make things right between us and God so we can keep on sinning, so we can live for sin. No way. God makes things right between us and God so we can live for God. That's the whole point. That we'd live, leave sin behind and, and we'd come to God and we'd live for God. And so Paul continues in verse 20, these amazing, beautiful words. Some of you, I'm sure, have memorized them. I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. 
I used to live my old life thinking I had to do more, thinking I had to earn my way back into God's good graces by keeping the commands better, but by doing more. But, Paul says, I've died to that. I've been crucified to that old way of life. I no longer live that way. I live a new life now. Now, Christ lives in me through God's Spirit. And and I live by faith in the Son of God, faith in Jesus, who loved me and who gave himself for me. It's a love relationship. It's a trust relationship now. My faith, my trust is no longer in my own ability to, to be religious enough or good enough for God to accept me. No, now by faith, now my faith is in Jesus. It's in God's son. I I put my trust in the one who loves me so much that he gave his own life for me. And so I let Christ live in me through his spirit. And Christ changes me. So I don't sin as much. So I'm being transformed by the spirit. So I'm becoming more loving, more good from the inside out, just like Jesus says. This is the way I live now, and it's all a gift. It's, it's freely given to me by God. It's by grace. I didn't earn it. I can't earn it. And so Paul concludes, verse 21, I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness, that's the noun form of justified in, in the, the Greek language. It, me, it means being right with God, being accepted by God. If righteousness could be gained through the law, then Christ died for nothing. Christ didn't need to die. If, if we could just be justified, if we could attain righteousness by keeping the law well enough, then, then Christ's death wasn't necessary. We just would have all been on our own to try a little harder, a lot harder. But, but we couldn't try hard enough. We couldn't obey well enough. So God did away with that whole approach. When we put our faith in Christ, we died to that old approach, Paul says, that old life. Now we live by following Jesus, by trusting in the one who loves us, who, who gave his life for us, the one who lives in us and is, is transforming us to be more like him. So look around you. This place, this family, Christ's family, isn't for the righteous religious people. It's not for those who are trying hard enough, who are doing well enough at keeping God's commands. No, it's for sinners. It's for those who've given up trying to please God through earning God's approval. And who put their faith, their trust in Jesus instead and in what Jesus has done for them. And so they have God's approval just as a free gift. They have it. They don't have to earn it. And do you know what that means? It means that the gospel lands us among sinners, especially at church. It did for Peter, though he resisted it. It did for Paul, though he embraced it. And it will for us. So when you come across those who make you uncomfortable, when we come across those who make us uncomfortable, because they don't look like us, they don't um, look like we think a good Christian should, or or they don't talk, or they don't act like we think a good Christian should, let's make sure we're acting in line with the gospel. Let's remember that the gospel lands us among sinners, especially at church. Let's remember that they, just like us, that they are just like us. And and that if, if they are interested in learning about Jesus and the grace that he offers then our church family is the perfect place for them to be.